I had a very strange childhood. Had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Truly effective medicine accounts for facets of health from our environment, nutrition, to even pathogens and cellular repair, as well as even detoxification, what some would call a biological approach to medicine. Well, our guest today knows something about that. He's a leader in the space of biological medicine and founded several treatment centers, the latest being the Sonnenberg Biomedical Health Hotel. This is the story of biological medicine with Dr. Thomas Rao. Dr. Rao, great to have you on. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. And I was super amazed that you contacted me because you are the son of my good friend, Thomas Schultz. We well, we were taught together when we were young and so on. So Yes, the, the story of, of how I know you without knowing you is that my father traveled to Europe a lot, studied with you and under you, and of course became friendly with you as I was a child. Unfortunately, I don't think we ever met, or if we did, I don't remember. It was a while back. I wouldn't expect you to remember. But, you know, when I think about European biological medicine and all your impact, I also want to go back to your understanding that you two were a conventional doctor first. What was that story that led you into becoming this pioneer in European and Swiss biological medicine? You know, I was educated as a normal doctor. I did the final examination. Well, I even had the final examination in the US. And uh, yeah, because I studied there too. And so then I became a rheumatologist for internal medicine. We call it specialization rheumatologist. And this, this, I would say, gave the, the key to my development afterwards, because you know, my patients, I was leading, I, this was really a gift of, of God that I, that in young age, I was entitled to lead a big courthouse with many beds and so, and they were doing rehabilitation. And so we had all these rheumatic, with rheumatoid arthritis, this kind of patients or lupus or sclerodermia or all these difficult things. And honestly, then, well, they came three weeks, they got better. Well, of course, because they got steroids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but then, in fact, they did not really get better. And so I had patients who came, especially I remember one. She said, oh, Dr. Rao, you're a wonderful doctor, but, you know, now I finally got better. Well, good, good, good. So, but... Well, then I asked the question, which normally doctors don't ask, but what did you do? Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, I went to this doctor and he did. A, he found that I was hyperacidity problem. And so the, I, that my nutrition was wrong. And so what, what? You have rheumatoid arthritis? No, no, I was, yes, I had rheumatoid arthritis, but this was due to my hyperacidity of the body. And so I went to detoxify and to, to alkalize the body. What, what alkalinization? What is this? And where did you go? This was the next question. Nobody asks me, not my patients, where did you go? She said, oh, to Dr. Wertmann in Salzburg. And she, he is the one who, well, and then I took the phone. Can you? colleague, we have a mutual patient, you helped her so much, what did you do? And this colleague was very amazed that somebody calls and somebody Mm -hmm. asks what he does. And then I asked, well, would it be possible that I visit like your father visited me? So this is very rare. And so, well, and so I learned, I be like apprenticeage Mm -hmm. and during at least 20 years, my wife and myself, we spent our holidays and we went to all these biomedicine popes. And we learned so because you can't learn these techniques. Do you yeah, think it's like that's... your father went to Paris yeah. and had a very, very important mind change there. Yes. And so I had my mind changers. Mm-hmm. 
And this is, yeah. Do you so think that's, that's, I, that's part of the problem in medicine right now is that you don't have such a curiosity in conventional medicine? It almost seems that when a doctor goes through training, that's it. They've learned all they can and they stop and they go and they go to continuing medical education, but very much so in what they've already learned. Whereas I see doctors and I, I think, why aren't they going out into the world and doing what you did, what my father did and finding more apprenticeship? Yeah, that's really a problem. Doctors now, even the students, well, at least in Europe, there is a selection technique so that you that you select repetitive individuals and not questioning individuals. So that's a, a very big difference. And so they and then they, they get taught what they have to say, guidelines. They have to follow the guidelines. They learn six years in university, they learn to follow guidelines. And poor boy, if you don't follow the guidelines, you fall out of our society. So I know it's a little bit cynic what I say, but what a doctor, a real doctor, a health person would need is questioning, finding, individualization. So I always say I never treat diagnoses. I always treat human beings. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing when you switch from diagnosis, which is just a word, a description, to actual human beings, to actually listening to humans, not just putting a label and saying that's what I'm treating. But it's it's so rare. And even <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you see this and I'd love to ask you about you know, some of the difference in the patients you see from around the world, but aren't they always so curious to get a diagnosis? They want almost the label sometimes. They say, what is my diagnosis? Yes, of course. I ask the patient, when you come, please bring your diagnosis, bring all the findings. The Americans, they come with piles <laughs> of, of documents when they come to us. Right. But this is very good because I'm trained orthodox-wise. So I know how to analyze these, <laughs> these bundles of findings. But at the end, I say, look, it's still about you. You have all the diagnosis, but nobody told you what is the cause mm. behind the diagnosis. And we try to find causes. Absolutely. And this and is the biggest difference. In German, we, we mm -hmm. call ourselves Ursachenmedizin, which is the medicine which looks for causes. Mm -hmm. And that's the important thing. And when you when you look at my book, well, I know that your father was working the same way. We always, in every patient, we try to find toxic load, we find to analyze the immune system. In cancer patients, why is the immune system released, uh, pushed down? In autoimmune patients, why is it over-triggered? Normally, there is a virus behind or, or bacterial diagnosis mm -hmm. and so on. When you talk about root cause illness, root causes, uh, you, exactly. you root created cause. a three-pillar approach to this. Can you go into that, what those pillars are? Yeah, this is the three pillars, Dr. Rao's three pillars of biological medicine. You know, I was in the last 30 years, we had so many patients when I, when I left the old clinic, uh, which I built up over 30 years, then we had our patient number was 88,000. So the patient, the last patient number more or less around this. So we had a huge, huge experience over 30 years. And well, I was not the only, we, at the best time we, we were 10 doctors. But what we found in our root cause approach, we found in most patients, we have three pillars. Pillar number one is the toxicity. People are so extremely toxic nowadays from food, from environment, from agricultural pesticides and so on. And we, we use techniques to find these toxins. For example, only a little example in breast cancer, 
we always find a heavy metal toxicity. Mm -hmm. Always. It's either mercury, mm -hmm. cadmium is also very problematic, or we find a organic toxins, perfluorooctanic acid, which is a textile product which you need in tissues and so on. These kind of toxins which come into the body and that the barrel of toxicity just builds up, builds up, builds up until it overflows. Then the patients come to us. But we found, we always find this barrel full. Pillar number one, toxicity. And very often in 40% of the American, there are statistics. Well, we are very scientific also, but on a, on a better level. In 40% of our American cancer patients, we find a genetic deficiency in detoxification. The body can't detoxify. So in these persons, the mercury load, the cadmium load, the lead load, the, the DDT load, the glyphosate load, they just increase, increase until it gets epigenetic and the cancer begins. So this is a toxic influence which makes, well, if you do not detoxify these patients and only remove, for example, the breast cancer, which orthodox medicine does, then it will come again, either in metastases or on the other side, because the root cause is not removed. So this is number one. Number two, my colleague, <laughs> the guy in in Salzburg, which is, uh, which became a good friend and really my, my mentor and my teacher. He said, cancer is an intestinal disease. Always, he said, well, cancer is an intestinal disease. But dear, well, he passed away. Dear friend, Conrad, I have to say you were right. This is fantastic. You were right. I see this in every page. Why? Because our immune system is laying in the gut. It's 80% of the T cells, T lymph cells, or the natural killer cells, or even macrophages, they are in the intestines. And if your intestine is a wreck, if you eat wrong the whole, well, <laughs> during decades, they get the immune system, the intestinal immune system gets less and less and less until it's no more enough around. And then these T cells, these macrophages, well, the grenadiers who should go and shoot cancer cells, they are no more active. They are just no more around. So we have to build up the intestinal system and by doing so, the intestinal immune system, which is 90% of the, the whole lymphatic system. So Pillar number two is the upbuilding of the intestines, change of diet, increase of, of lymphatic system, and so on. This is pillar number two. And now something, it's incredible, simple what I say now. The body comes, the patient comes, look at my patients, I only have the, the worst patients, they come, doctor, how can you do something? I have been everywhere. I have cancer stage four, or I have hepatitis C, or I have autoimmune disease. Nothing works anymore. Then they come to me. Well, I don't like to say this word, but it's health breaks. And so they come to us and we have to upbuild. It's not only about their cancer, it's about their body. And in orthodox medicine, nobody builds up the rest of the body. They treat against the cancer, which makes the body even weaker, and nobody builds up. And so in all these degenerative diseases, in all neurological diseases, especially brain diseases, we have fantastic results on Parkinson's and on beginning dementia because nobody builds up. They only do anti-treatment, but never pro-treatment. And our third pillar is the pro 
pillow. We just fortify the body of these poor patients who come in a very bad all over situation. And then the healthier the body is, the less cancer or autoimmune or degeneration can work. It's like in a state, the healthier the state is, the less you will get terrorists. Right. And that's so much of what medicine misses is this idea that if you change the environment, allow the body to do what it always does, which is regulate and self-heal, it will start to correct. Whereas most of medicine says your body is broken, you require surgery or pharmaceutical intervention for the rest of your life because it'll always be broken. Whereas I know your approach is much saying the body isn't broken. It just needs the right environment and the right pieces again to do what it does best, heal and regenerate. Now on pillar two, which a big part of that is diet, of course. And you wrote a book, The the Swiss Secret to Optimal Health, which a large section of that is all about how to eat. Can you go into that, what you found is the most optimal way of eating for the pillar number two, the GI system? Yeah, I am on nutritional medicine since at least 30 years. And there are so many opinions about what is the best diet. Is it vegan? Is it raw food? Is it fasting? Is it ketogenic? Is it paleo diet or whatever? But if you look at what does what are these diets doing, it is always about your metabolism to change and to fortify the patient's metabolism. But if you get an elephant or a little bird, you don't have to treat them the same way. So we go very much like your father did, 100%. We go into the constitution. If you, if we see an elderly lady nearly transparent by so, so fine, or if we see this kind of, of uh, overweight, we have to make different food. The Chinese medicine knows this. On the slim, degenerative, well, we call transparent person. So we have to give energy food. And on the elephant, we have to give some detoxification, draining food. And this is not the same. What we are doing is individualization. But on a normally, I am suggesting a vegetarian food because Nowadays, meat proteins or animal proteins, they are really changed and they are loaded and they are, they are the toxiest uh, of the nutrition what we have, especially the, the pork meat, beef meat nowadays, even so-called free range is problematic. Even they have a an integration because from the environment you have so many toxins. You know, they, they may still eat on the meadow some grass, the, the grass fed, but what comes down from the, from the heaven and what does this, this beef concentrate? When you test even these healthy meats, then they are still toxically loaded. Less, of course. But this is number one. And what I described in really in details in my books, in both, is the, the cow dairy. Well, in Europe, 80% of the protein intake of the average population is either from cow dairy or from meat. And meat is normally pork or beef. They don't eat uh, horses or camels or whatever. <laughs> so it's, it's normally. So we looked very much into, very scientifically into the cow dairy, cow dairy. And this changed very much in the last 40 years. There is a significant, because of breeding of the cows, they have more, they produce much more milk about triple what they had 40 years ago. And this cow milk contains three times more of the highly allergenic beta-lactoprotein. So triple by triple, nine times 
So the average person nowadays has nine times more of this beta-lactoprotein, which is highly, highly uh, allergenic. And mm. the cow milk, the cows, they are, uh, how do you say, genetically breeded, you know, from generation to generation on production. And cow milk ha- contains growth factors. That's why the little wheel, you know, the, when they get born, they get big so quickly because they have the cow's milk. And our patients, they take this cow milk and this cow milk contains so much uh, growth factors so that, well, growth can come to this person, for example, breast cancer growth. So it has, and it has been proven, of course, you don't read this in the papers and in the journals, so that cow milk, for example, is cancerogenic for breast cancer, is cancerogenic for prostate cancer, all these hormonal depending cancers that can be stimulated. So this is why I tell my patients, do not eat any cow milk products. It's somewhat counter, you know, to what is trending now, let's say. If you look at, let's say, social media influencers, you have Carnivore MD that says eat only meat. You have a ketogenic push where you have some people that get short-term weight loss and say, oh, wow, it's, it's a wonderful diet. You should do more ketogenic and do it with intermittent fasting. If you were to go beyond, let's say, a patient who is obviously has high toxicity and probably would not benefit, do you think a healthy individual can benefit from these types of, I'm not going to say fad diets, but what is popular right now? Our average diet is very close. Uh, well, it's too much protein loaden and too much sugar loaden. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about sick patients who come to us. And these patients, when we do the dark field here, for example, yeah. or when we do a blood analysis or protein electrophoresis, then we always find a hyperproteinization of the interstitial of the tissue findings. So the tissue is hyperproteinized. That's why I tell the patients come down from, well, the average patients takes 130 grams of protein per day, and we can only process about 40 to 60 grams. So we have overload. Come down with protein. How do you get down? No dairy protein and no beef. No, no. Well, I say no red meat. Of course, you can do, you could still do ketogenic diet, which in a way is not bad, especially in cancer patients, but vegetarian ketogenic diet. This would be the, the trick. So I tell my patients, I'm like, John Wayne, you know, I have one gun with two bullets and no dairy, no sugar. So yeah. these, <laughs> these, are my, these are my two first bullets, no sugar, no dairy. Then the average Western person is already much, much closer to how they should eat. Then by constitution, I do the little details. Sometimes I allow a little bit dried beef meat, for example, or I allow, very often I allow uh, soft-boiled eggs, but not many. Mm -hmm. I sometimes allow, well, that's normally what I do, or sheep cheese in Mm -hmm. in certain cases. So, But this is individualized. That's the fine-tuning. Yeah. Everything has to be individualized and people need to know their bodies, of course. We can't all say this is the best diet for everyone. That's a little bit preposterous, right? Now, for, for <laughs> some... See, Go ahead. Sorry. When you yeah. see in my book, The Swiss Secret, mm-hmm. when you see... when you, I get patients, you know, we sold this uh, 50,000 times. That this book was very often sold. And uh, I get comments from patients who said, oh, finally, I lost 20 kilograms. Mm. Finally, I did everything before. But 
Then I get other patients and said, oh, I was always underweight. And now I increased my weight by three kilograms. The same diet. Why? Because it equalizes, it harmonizes your metabolism. The elephant loses weight. The little transparent girl increases weight. Yeah, this is something I learned actually studying German biological medicine and alchemical medicine, even that if you give the proper type of ingredients, the proper remedies, it can do both. It can regulate you up or down. It's giving information to do it. So therefore, it isn't just stimulating or, you know, basically reducing something. And that's Mm -hmm. how we should see even diet. As long as it's quality and it's good for us, it will either help us gain weight that would be healthy for us or reduce weight that would be healthy for us, correct? Yeah, it's our diet is a metabolic harmonizer. Mm. This is what it is about. Yeah. Now, Dr. Rao, you've seen, you said, over 80,000 patients at a single clinic. You have multiple clinics. So you have a, a very good sense. And you've seen patients from around the world. I have to ask you, how do American patients match up to European? Do you see a difference besides what they're bringing in their binders you said that are so much bigger? (laughs) Aside from binders, are you seeing any difference in the the biological aspects of the two? Is is an American diet and lifestyle more toxic? I'm curious about that. Well, we have patients from all over the world. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And you're right. In the American population, I really see much higher toxicity and much higher congestive kind of the tissue stacking, so to say, much more load in the tissue. But this is one that's the metabolic side. And the other side, unfortunately, is also a very mechanistic approach to the body and to the health uh, questions. But this comes from the last 20 or 30 years of education. If you have somebody, you go uh, something, then you go to the specialist. The specialist makes the examinations, then you get the diagnosis, and then you get the medication. It's extremely passive. The, mm. the approach of, and we, we even have the good selection who comes to Switzerland to my treatment, they are the already a super positive selection from mindset. And they are, well, unfortunately, off, very often a negative selection from health situation. We get the sick ones, but the ones with a good mindset. So, but the average, when I go, I have the big a chance to go to Hippocrates Clinic as an example to do my consulting there regularly. I went there for cancer patients and I see their approach is more mechanistic, mm. more believing in the super spe- specialists, even though they have no results. What are the, the common illnesses that you are seeing nowadays? I, I know in the past, and it probably still is. You're seeing, of course, a lot of Lyme disease as we are. Something I'll get into uh, you know, a little bit more later. But are there things you're seeing more of now in the last 10, 20 years that you didn't see before as far as just people coming in with conditions? We have clearly more neurological diseases, mm-hmm. more brain uh, cognitive decline, Increase, explosive increase of autistic children. Mm. We have a lot of autistic children. Well, dear parents, if you have a child like this, please come to us. Mm. I never would say we heal the child, but it gets much better than what they experienced before. That's a big, big problem. And we have more viral diseases, bacterial diseases go back very rarely malaria or tuberculosis or all these or scarlet fever and all these things went back, back, back very rare nowadays, even in Europe. But we have these viral diseases which come up and multi-infectious diseases and the borreliosis, you know, the Lyme. But Lyme, we can talk later more. Lyme is 
one expression which is showing how much environmental problems come into diseases because Lime you only get if you are very toxic. But this is another topic. So it changed very much. And now, well, I know this is a very delicate topic. After COVID, we have a formally a explosion of cancer. Mm. Cancers develop different in our patients nowadays. And we have this very fast and very severe exploding cancer, especially in in triple or four times vaccinated people. Let's go back to that because I do want to get into that, but let's bring up the other topic because it is later now. And let's talk about Lyme disease. We've seen it at a clinic. You've seen it for such a long time. People from around the world, it's not just in the Lyme, Connecticut area anymore. Is it your belief that Borrelia is a rampant bacteria that is in a number of people, but only expresses itself when there is trauma, stress, a lowering of immune system, a period of unhealthy times, and then you begin to get Lyme symptoms if untreated become chronic Lyme? Answer is, I can say shortly, yes. Because we try, you know, I'm, I'm extremely much under the radar of the, of the official medicine because what we do is a little bit, um, you know, what, are, what is he doing, this quack? Oh, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I tell who criticizes me, please come to look. Just ask the patients who are in, a, in my clinic. You can have the list of patients. Ask them back home. So, well, then they begin to understand. Well, anyway, in Lyme, of course, it's not only in Lyme, Connecticut. I have been there, but it's interesting. I can talk a little bit more about this, but we have areas which are very similar here in Europe too. And we have a lot of Lyme patients who came to my clinic. Many, many. Well, that's one of my favorite diagnoses because we can help. Here I can say in 100% we can help because they always get much better or even healed. Mm -hmm. We did research. We looked in toxicity and Lyme. And we found in these Lyme patients, we found a, in average, much higher heavy metal, especially lead, cadmium, mercury, low. And even more important, more interesting is we found in 25% of our Lyme stage 3 patients, we found a deficiency to detoxify the body. Hmm. They had other either glutathione transferase, lack, a genetic deficiency, or they have methyl transferase, folate transferase lack, so they could not detoxify the body. The body didn't have the pathways. So they stored toxicity for years. Since, well, this is a genetic thing, which is since birth. And they stored, stored, stored. And then these bacteria, which everybody has, I, I can go into this later, everybody has in this area a confrontation with Lyme Borrelia bacteria, <laughs> everybody. So why do you get sick and the other one does not get sick? And these factors are which we have to work on. That's extremely important, extremely important that we find the factors which the Borrelia in your body loves and then can get more pathogenic. We have an area here in, in Switzerland, in Germany, on the River Rhine. Mm -hmm. It's very much uh, similar to, to this area where Lyme, Connecticut is, with the lakes, with the river, with the, the forests, and with the deer in the forest. And so it's very similar climate-wise too. And they, here there is an area where also in the towns that we have a lot of well, why is it more in the towns than in the non-towns? But the, the ticks are more out in the forests, but the people in the towns, they get more sick. Why? Because they are infected anyway. And so now it gets very interesting. They did 
research and they looked on these villages in the country villages, countryside villages. They went to the schools and they tested all the school children, healthy as can be, the little country boys and girls. So they tested for Lyme and they tested forest workers and they tested farmers in this area along the river Rhine which is very humid and, mm -hmm. and foresty. And they found 95% were in serum, in blood, positive for Lyme. So in New York, if you would bring them in to New York and they would have some whatever symptom and they would find, oh, you have Lyme state, this is Lyme state three, but they were healthy as can be. Hmm. You can't rely on lab findings when it's about borreliosis, Lyme disease. You can't rely because you can be wrongly negative. Right. And 95% of these healthy people were wrongly positive on Lyme positive, uh, on Lyme finding. So when I see my patients nowadays, they have something health problem, they have perhaps cognitive problems, they have joint problems, back problems, whatever, or fibromyalgia. They go to a doctor, they don't find anything because they look wrongly, they don't test toxically. They do, oh, in this case, it could be Lyme disease. They look for Lyme disease and they find, oh, you have Lyme. But 95% of these German farmers and forest children, they had Lyme too. They had the same finding, healthy as can be. They are sick by something else and they have positive Lyme findings. And then they get antibiotics. Mm. And there is the guideline. It's really the business of infectiology. Mm -hmm. You can have the guideline first. You give three three weeks doxycycline and then rocephine and whatever. And the patients they destroy their intestinal mucous membranes and the bacteria, the dysbiosis comes up and then the sickness really begins. I would say 90% of my Lyme 3 patients who were not successfully treated in the United States and they come to us, they are toxic or they have a severest dysbiosis. You to the side effect of the antibiotics. When we treat this, Lyme disappears. And the co-infections. Yes, and other infections. Very often, in nearly 100% of these Lyme patients, we find several viruses, for example, Epstein-Barr, Cytomegalia, uh, varicella, well, shingles, we find positive, very high levels. So, That's what I meant. Diseases change. There is not just one bacteria mechanistically anymore. There is mm -hmm. always a multi-infection and a multi-toxicity. And if you balance all these things, which is a three to three weeks beginning, afterwards a several months treatment to really rebalance your body and the immune system, the symptoms disappear. You know, Lyme to me has always been fascinating because, of course, my father and the clinic here, we've seen so many as well. And you know, you've seen so many patients come through. To me, it's the ultimate expression of germ theory versus terrain theory. You know, when, when you throw a bunch of antibiotics, at, you know, which is germ theory, and just say, blow them, attack the germ, yet you make the environment worse, it usually, usually almost 100% does not work. Whereas if you go terrain theory and you start to change the environment to where the bacteria cannot persist, it usually works. It's a little bit slower, you know, a little bit longer process to change environment, but it's much more beneficial. And to me, this is the ultimate kind of look at which one really works in practice. You could say germ theory is the right one and Pasteur, you know, was correct and Enderline was it, but Bichamp really, but I think this is a, a big tenet, right? A biological medicine is terrain. You improve the inner milieu and you start to see better results, right? 100%. I agree 100%. Yeah. So, you know, Lyme is, is a fantastic diagnosis. It was really super invention. You have a test, which is always positive. 
you have something which you can treat against, but you treat against the wrong lab finding, and then you destroy the patients, and the patients get a chronic sickness, so you have a permanent customer. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I know this is very cynic. Oh, no, but not for the pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very nice if you invest in these pharmaceutical companies because they have someone for life now from something somewhat benign, a tick bite or some you know regular bacterial infection. Although, can you really call it regular bacterial? Are, are you on board that this may have been a Lab 257 outside of Lyme, Connecticut, man-made spirochete of... Uh, nefarious uh, reasoning and something that came out of a lab? You know, I can't judge about this. Of mm. course, I know about these conspirative opinions. Are they conspirative or are they really reality? This is extremely difficult to say. I'm not a, a bacterial scientist who right. I heard about this opinion that the, this lab yeah, this uh, from the military, and then these Borrelia, they escaped, and whatever uh, is, it's possible, but I can't tell you. The same, you know, this exactly the same thing with these new viruses which are going around. I don't mm -hmm. say the word now mm -hmm. because it's too stigmatized. But is it artificial or not? The fact is that it is around, and the fact is that. They apparently, they come up when you have a toxic co-load, when your immune system is not intact, then they come up. For me, it's in a way irrelevant if it's right. man-made or it's, it's just a change. You know, these bacteria, they change. That's why we no more have the old-fashioned tuberculosis or pest you know, the, yes. uh, all, all these old diseases or cholera, well, it exists still, but no more here. Why? Because these bacteria, they are still, still around, but they are changed. They are less pathogenic. Over the centuries, over the decades, pathogenicities, they change and others come up. It becomes a point that doesn't really matter too much to the doctor. You need to heal. You need to help a patient, regardless of if it was man-made, was you know a mutation, was something you've never seen before. So that is a good point. That you know, as much as we like conspiracy theories and, and interesting uh, you know background stories, it doesn't matter to the person suffering from it. Now you've helped create a number of different practices along the way. Paracelsus Clinic, I know, was a big one for you, and now you're at this point where you just created, I believe in the last two years, the Sonnenberg Biomedical Health Hotel. Can you tell us about that and how has it evolved as you open new ones? Is there an evolution where you're introducing new things at each one, new concepts, uh, new <clears throat> ideas? With this one, of course, I, I think it's brilliant to have people in an environment of a hotel where you get to keep them in a good, safe environment rather than come in and then leave back to their possibly toxic environment. Tell us about how that has been as you open new ones. Is there an evolution and a process to it? You know, our clinic now, I can do this because I'm quite solid financially and I have the experience. So I could buy this boutique clinic yeah. where we do the, so to say, the, the Rolls Royce of biological medicine. But of course, we also have other clinics. It's not my clinic. It doesn't belong to me. But we have consulting in India, in Malaysia, in Vietnam, in Germany, several centers where I go and I consult regularly. And in Cyprus is another one. They are all connected to me. When I look into these places, does it work or does it not work? This depends from the doctor who runs the place. Mm. And it's not depending money if there are big shareholders and big money behind. It only is about the team because you have to have a different mindset, the thinking. You have to see the person as a a metabolic biological entity. And if you can do this and 
then you can have a successful practice. Well, this is what I try to teach my colleagues. I have around 500 practitioners worldwide who came to my seminars and did the whole educational series. And at the end, they had the stamp, uh, well-certified biological doctor. But of course, they have to continue. Mm -hmm. And the good ones, they ask me, can you come still to consult in my place? And this is what we do. So we have a simple clinic with a very good doctor in India. And we have another one with quite a big uh, financial background in Malaysia. A very good doctor. He's, so to say, my my son, my spiritual son, uh, because he really took over. And in Kuala Lumpur, he has a flourishing clinic where I go regularly. But he's so good. He, honestly, he does not really need me anymore. And so this is the way we work. We offer for colleagues who want to have a biological practice or a center, we offer service. We can tell them what to do, which devices they should have, mm -hmm. which lab, and so. And we can train or help to train the staff. This is what we do. It's a very collaborative, meaning you're not holding on to the knowledge and saying it's only mine and no one else could do this. Because a lot of the times that's what you right? You'd patent things in a sense and you'd say, I am the only one that has this. But I know you're at a stage now and you've been where your focus is to transfer this knowledge, this wealth of information to others. Do you think that we're at the stage where medicine is switching itself away more and more from conventional medicine? to accepting the knowledge. Because as you know, if you were to go to a group of conventionally trained doctors, not many would be very open possibly to accepting this information. Yes. I think the medical world is still doing too well in the West. So the motivation to go into a real medicine which helps the person, it's not just a monetary thing. The motivation is not yet really here. So many doctors, they are not, they see that their treatments are problematic, but they don't want to see this. And they just say, no, no, this is all quackery. I don't want to do this. And well, the worst are the ones who say, no, this doesn't work at all. Uh, I know this. It's not scientific. Well, this is as if I would say, look, Kaspar, it's impossible to speak in Chinese only because I do not speak Chinese. You know, it's ignorance when I say something like this. And the same is with the doctors who say, what biological medicine? This is impossible. Well, in fact, they do not want really to know because they would have to go into a process which is just difficult. Right. But it works. We look at my patients. Yep. Please come to my clinic, talk to the patients, their stories, and they will tell you that orthodox medicine in their cases didn't work. And now it works. Absolutely. In my former clinic, in the big one, we did a statistic. 80% of our the patients who had to come international flight. Yeah. They had to take a big effort with plane and so 80% they come back one or more times. Mm, that's a testament to the results. This is absolutely extraordinary, this coming back ratio. Right. And I think that's the, the beauty of this type of medicine is that the results speak. And they're not the results that are just, hey, you'll feel better, take this pill, because that's not real healing. That is just masking symptoms and disease management. So, you know, we have to change what the level of success is in medicine as well. Because if that's the case, you're still sick. You just need a pill every day. You'll need surgery and then you'll need more pills. The real level of success is actually feeling better without the need self-managing, self-healing, and then coming back for prevention, which is, of course, different. That's That's unheard of in conventional medicine, but it should be the real measure of success, and then results speak. 
as you know, people tell families, my goodness, how come this isn't out there? And they come, whole families, whole towns come sometimes after they hear this uh, you know, level of healing in people that could not find it in the conventional realm. So I think that's the biggest testament to biological medicine as a whole. It speaks for itself and its results. Yeah, we have from, again, from international clientele, we have more than 80% comes word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Because somebody told them, I have been there, you have to go there, and so on. Right. And that's that's really the best way. You are hearing from experience, not from marketing, not from ads or anything else. It's yes. the experience of others. Dr. Rao, mm -hmm. I want to be um, uh, you know sensitive to the time. I know we don't have too much time left. I do want to go back to something that Again, it's controversial. If we have to, we'll cut this out. But I do want to hear your thoughts on what you brought up before with the two C's, COVID and cancer. And you said that there has been a rise in <clears throat> cancer. However comfortable you feel answering this, and again, we could cut this out, but what are your beliefs and thoughts on COVID vaccination and cancers? It is difficult to tell you really a, a final evaluation because it's not enough time yet. I would say probably I'm, well, at least in Europe, I'm one of the most experienced biological medicine cancer doctor. I do this since 30 years and I'm extremely experienced in big numbers, bad cases of cancer. And I just see a significant difference in how cancer now develops. We have different types, which I never had before, especially blood cancer, especially pancreas cancer. It just explodes. And for example, lung cancer, we didn't have many coming to our clinic, but now it explodes. I have nearly every week a new severe fast developing cancer patients. And when I look into them, their immune system is always very decreased. For example, we already have numbers which are probably statistically relevant that monocytes, these are the, so to say, the, the secret police who goes around in the body and looks are there cancer cells? Are there terrorists around? They don't do anything. They go back to the lymph cells, to the NK cells, the grenadiers, and tell them, and they are no more here. A decrease of monocytes. We see a significant decrease of average CRP. The inflammatory processing in the body is damaged. We see in these explosive cancer patients and also in the in this explosive autoimmune, you know, patients who get rheumatoid arthritis, but not a bit, just a avalanche of rheumatoid arthritis instantaneously or MS, such bad uh, cases. And when I look at them, they all have very high spike proteins, very high COVID IgG antibodies. So there is a parallel. Then I ask them, well, uh, did you have COVID vaccination? And they nearly always say yes. Well, three, four times. But we also have one, the, the ones who did not get COVID vaccination, but probably infected. This is what in the conspirative uh, people they call shedding. And we have this shedding effect we see very, very often in these patients. So I believe that there is an incidence of relation between the COVID vaccination or also patients who had several times COVID. By the way, the vaccinated, they get as, as bad COVID infections than the non-vaccinated. It doesn't protect at all. And we did until now, we tried to do statistics because I can tell you we are very much under the radar because 
what I say is not so popular in the official world. So, but that's why we, we do the statistics and we see our patients in average who come to my clinic. They are about 48, 45% are vaccinated as it should be three times. But in the bad cases, we have 98% who have been vaccinated. You know, these explosive cases of cancer. So there is clearly more. So the argument that, well, you have this now after COVID, you say this is because of COVID. No, it is not because of COVID because all the people are vaccinated anyway. But we see a clear difference. Well, it's statistically, I know that this is not, not told in the press in right. the US. We have a clear over mortality since two years. No, this is, uh, it's alarming. And I'll say you're not the only person to have said this. You're not the only person to, to bring up these points. I don't think at this stage we, we can sit silent and just allow this to happen. Just to, to actually be sharing this is, is incredibly valuable. And then, of course, to you, we have to find ways to treat these people that are in this. And you're doing that. And other clinics are doing a wonderful job in the biological realm. So thank you for that. And um, is there any advice you give to anyone who has gone through vaccination? Is, is there anything to, to do aside from, you know, be as healthy, live as healthy as possible? Yeah, but there is a clear device, a clear advice. We advise our patients, we test everybody who comes to my clinic. We test for COVID antibodies, SARS-2 COVID IgG antibodies. And if they are elevated, you have to drain because then you also have uh, these spike proteins, which really damage the immune system. So these spike proteins, and you have to drain them. So a lot of lymphatic drainage. Yeah, we, no, we do. We give acetyl NAC and acetylocysteine. Mm -hmm. Then we give reduced glutathione. We give a high dose of vitamin D. And we have a specific amino acid, which stabilizes the genetic transfer. You know, the RNA and the spike proteins, they can damage the genetic substance in your cell. When, when the genes reduplicate, and we have a, a remedy, we call it DNA spray, DNA spray, which protects the DNA of your good cells for getting the wrong information in. Mm. And this that's what's so our, important. It's the information as well, not just spike proteins, but the information it's given. You know, just like everything, you know. DNA, of course, is information. It's all information. Your cells need that to regenerate properly and for them to function properly. So that's, mm -hmm. that's incredibly interesting and incredibly important information. Thank you for sharing. I know you have to go. Where, where can people learn more about you, see you in person? I know you'll, you'll be in Florida <laughs> in, uh, next week, and I'll be honored to be there and meet, but where can they learn more? Well, you can come to our clinic. You can come to my seminars, my educational system. I will begin again this year. A teaching a series, which is three times two days, a teaching over the year in English, online. We do it this year. We do it online. And you can be, you can go under the webpage, biomed, biomed-int, like international, biomed-int.com. And then you see my activities, my program. And for example, that I come Friday, the 3rd of February, I will be in West Palm Beach in the convention hall to make a speech where I will speak exactly about new diseases, viral diseases, and the change of, of diseases. Of course, I will talk about COVID also. Well. I'm excited for that one. And I'll, I'll be very honored to meet in person while you're there in sunny Florida. And really personally, thank you for all of your work. I mean, this is our first time connecting, but of course, I've been following very closely and, and the impact on my father and what he's done and everything is, has been so vital to not just uh, so many people's treatments, but understanding of a whole new <laughs> way of looking at medicine and healing 
that is so, so important in today's world. So, Dr. Rao, thank you so much for the time. And uh, again, look forward to meeting next week. Very welcome. Thank you also. And all the best to your father. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you. And thank you yes. for the opportunity to spread my, my world. Thank you. So as you've heard, we've gotten so far away from holistic healing with our single-minded approach. But fortunately, we have wonderful physicians like Dr. Rao to encourage a more comprehensive view of human health and healing, which is so, so important. So again, thank you. And until next time, continue writing your own healing story.